Christmas means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, And depending on what circumstances we find ourselves in in life, uh, the Christmas holidays can feel vastly different to us, depending on the situation uh, of life. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to spend some time comparing some divine paradoxes of how we see Jesus really is the better way. We Christians get used to talking about it, But sometimes I have to ask myself the question, am I living what I'm saying? And some of you might wonder, what's all the big hubbub about about Christmas anyways? You know, in America, you're not even allowed to say Merry Christmas anymore. Uh, You're only allowed to say Happy Holidays. And you certainly wouldn't want your Starbucks cup to in any way indicate that we believe in Jesus Christ. So we've got to be careful of all these things. But yet, long before Jesus was born, Long before, 33 years after he was born, he went to the cross to set us free from sin and death once for all. Three days after which he rose again victorious over that sin and death. Long before any of that, God had been working his redemptive plan. In fact, almost from the very beginning, from the moment even Adam fell and sinned, God began his plan at work, the redemptive plan. And we see that so marvelously throughout the story of Ruth. This Moabite alien woman, not alien as far as from another planet, if you're thinking Star Wars, which uh, many of you are at this point, but alien from a foreign land. And God used a woman like Ruth to look at her mother-in-law and say, your people will be my people, your God, my God. And she followed Naomi to a land called Bethlehem. And as you heard in today's scripture, Bethlehem was somewhere quite significant in the life of Jesus Christ. It's his hometown. It's where he was born. And this is an amazing truth because Bethlehem was small and little. It might not seem that way, but in America, that's me. I'm small and little. And so there's hope for people like us that are small and little. And we're going to look at these things. And the first thing I want to look at is what Isaiah presents to us in chapter 9. And it's this picture of those that walk in light and those that walk in darkness. And it's the comparison of the two that gets us started as we look at the significance of Christmas. And as you see in your Bibles or on the screen, the people walking in darkness, those that had been walking and living in sin, they will see a great light. They have seen a great light. This is a prophetic word that God had given, uh, given the prophet Isaiah long before Jesus was born. But he's predicting what's coming on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Well, what does that mean for us today? What do we think about when we think this idea of living in the light? And it could be a complicated thing. If you are a man and you have been walking somewhere, driving somewhere, or trying to take public transport somewhere, I suspect at one point or another you have gotten lost. Would that be true? I'm speaking specifically to men because I'm going somewhere with this in a moment. And this, especially if you were, uh, be, were an adult leading people before about, let's say, 2005 when Yahoo Maps and uh, Google Maps and all these things were out there. Because before then, you had to actually figure stuff out. Very rarely have I met a man that likes and is willing to ask for directions. Have you noticed that? 
And maybe you women are the same, but at least for me, I would rather walk around in circles for two hours than humiliate myself, especially when I don't speak the language, and go ask someone where to get. That's just not my style. What it really is is pride, and I'm too embarrassed to acknowledge that I have no idea where I am. At one point, I tried to take a bus back to Wampo, and two and a half hours later found myself in Toon Moon. (laughs) It happens, all because I wouldn't ask for directions. In the same way as people walking this earth, there are so many that are walking along looking for direction. They're looking for hope. But they keep thinking that they themselves are the solution. That we somehow, as humanity, will finally figure out how to fix ourselves. There's just one problem. History gives us no indication that on our own, we ever do anything but make things worse. Now, there's been patterns of light and hope, but then darkness seems to follow shortly thereafter because selfish desires get in the way of what's good for all people. This little baby came into the darkness of the world, not as the great king and royal in a palace that we expected, but in a manger. And he showed the world how to live in light by being a servant, by being humble, And by considering other needs more important than his own. And by inviting people to deal with their sin, deal with their brokenness, which we'll talk about in a moment, and respond to his call on their life and be transformed and walk in the light. Now, don't think that I can talk about light and dark without at least talking about Star Wars for a moment. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin it. I'm going to only use the old ones. But in the old movies, we have this constant battle between good and evil. The bad guys are known as the, the dark side of the force. They're actually following the dark side. And the good, they never actually refer to it as the light side or this or that. But we refer to it often today as the light side. And in episode four, we meet this young character named Luke Skywalker. And Luke Skywalker is charged with understanding his role in this world and that it is through him that he could bring balance to the force. And we're excited to see where that goes. And by the time you get to episode six, the return of the Jedi, Luke becomes a full-on Jedi and is able to save the world or save the galactic uh, universes or whatever they're called because of his sacrificial act of being able to save his dad, who... If you haven't seen the originals, there's a shocker. Darth Vader is Luke's dad. (laughs) So there's your spoiler. And often that's how we walk through life, thinking about terms of everyone's either good on the inside or evil on the inside and needs to be helped to that direction or the other. But what Jesus invites us to is a life to relationship with the Father that has never fallen that has never lost his way, that has never decided to go off and take a detour and build a Death Star or two. And he has always shown humanity the right way to go. And regardless of how often humanity goes the wrong way, God continues to draw people back to himself, back to the light. Because throughout eternity, we see time and again, when people walk in the light, it's the best way to live. There's hope in the light. There's purpose in the light. There's confidence that we're going in the right direction. 
I talk with people all the time that don't yet know the Lord and they say, I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's just so hard. I'm confused. I don't know where to go. But yet, we don't want to acknowledge our need before others. And it's at that point of acknowledging our need that we need directions that God spoke into life and gave light through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says about himself. He says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Now, this is a Christmas message and I want it to be encouraging, but I also want it to be realistic. Jesus does not say that if you follow him and go toward the light of Jesus Christ, that life will be easy all the time. He does not promise that. If a pastor gets up and promises you that following Jesus is the easiest thing ever and it's always simple and you'll get rich and have all you ever wanted, he missed the whole Bible. But the reality is there is nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, one of the great theologians and missionaries of all time, who was also incredibly academically astute, legally trained, the guy knew his stuff. And at the end of his life, he writes to people just as that, I count everything but loss, but the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. There is nothing I consider more important than following him. And when I've followed him, Paul tells us time and again, there is purpose, there is significance. And there's meaning in life that's more than how big my retirement account is. That's more than what people think of me. That's more than this world around me. It's for all eternity. Jesus broke through the darkness and came in inviting us into the light. But then this guy, Paul, that I was mentioning goes a step further. And he said, once you, you who believe in Jesus Christ, once you were in the darkness, but now... He changes it up. Not only does he acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, but that we are torchbearers. You ever use a flashlight? Well, that's kind of what we, the church today, are supposed to be like. We are supposed to be light in this dark world. That should excite us. Right now you look kind of tired and not awake. But when you get to this later on, or maybe you listen to the podcast or something, and you think about the fact that we get to be light in this dark world. We get to offer people hope, meaning, and purpose in broken lives. That should excite us and give us great joy because we can tell people this isn't all there is. Well, how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us a good example. Live as children of light. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, for the fruit of light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Oh, yeah, and find out what pleases the Lord. And I would add parenthetically there, and do it. You want to walk in the light? Get to know this book, but don't get to know it just by yourself. Get to know it with your family. Get to know it with your friends, and then invite them and walk together with them. We had men's ministry yesterday and there was five of us and we had a great time of sharing. And as we were discussing the idea of answered prayer and how God sometimes answers prayer and other times it seems he doesn't answer it or at least doesn't answer it in the way we want, we got to open the scriptures together and wrestle with how that plays out in real life that we don't always understand, but we know the best way to go is toward the Lord. That's so much more encouraging when I've got somebody to talk about that stuff with than doing it on my own, isn't it? 
We are called to the light in community. This is a plural thing. You can be the smartest person in this room and study and know all this, but if you keep it to yourself, there's an old kid's song that comes from a verse in the Bible that says, don't hide your light under a bushel. It does no good and eventually it's extinguished. We are invited to learn the word, to seek the light, and take direction from our king. And it's amazing what happens as we do because we get to invite people to follow us. If you've ever taken a walk in the woods at night, you always follow the guy that seems to know where they're going or the woman that seems to know where they're going. You don't look around for the person that's going from side to side because you know they're lost. You look for the person that is walking with purpose. What if we Christ followers walked with purpose in this world and invited others to join us? Wouldn't it change how we interacted with the world around us? Which would then allow us to invite people to deal with the brokenness that we often face. Christmas can be a time where people wrestle with brokenness. Uh, and honestly, uh, many of you might at the, at the holidays deal with the, re- with the reality that you've got broken families that somehow there's conflict somewhere in your family or you've got broken relationships at work or at home uh, or with friends that you haven't talked to, but you know you should. There's brokenness. Or you realize that somewhere in life, there's gotta be more than this, but you don't know how to deal with it and you don't know how to get there. And look at what we're told. And this introduces us that not only is Jesus the better Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan and Yoda all combined, Jesus is the better Gideon. Now, many of you might not recognize Gideon, but that's who is being referred to here. For as in the day of Midian's defeat. Well, let me tell you about Midian's defeat real quickly. Gideon was charged with going and attacking the people of Midian. There is one problem. There was over 100,000 of them. And at best, there was 30,000 Israelites. Now, I'm not great at math, but I know that's not good. That's at least three to one, likely five to one against. And our chances aren't good with odds like that. They were better armed, they were stronger, and they were violent, and they were evil. These were some of the most vile people on the face of the earth at the time. And God looks at Gideon, and Gideon says, what do you want me to do, God? And he says, well, you've got too many troops, so let's whittle them down. You've got too many troops. So he whittles them down and they go through this process a few times. And in the end, Gideon is told to take 300 men against thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Why? So that Israel and all the world would remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. The only reconciliation and wholeness we can find in this world isn't going to be fixed on our own. You're struggling with broken relationships right now. I promise you, you can do your best, but you may not be able to fix them. But God can redeem what once was broken. A woman named Ruth looked at her mother-in-law, which is a miracle in and of itself. Uh, Not many of us... um, can understand the depth of love these two had. But she looked at Naomi and she said, I'm going with you. 
And she stuck by her. And she walked into Bethlehem where she was not only a stranger, but she was an outcast. She would have been seen as a broken woman that no one would love and no one would care for because she was from the people of Moab that had single-handedly led Israel toward false worship, costing 24,000 Israelites their lives. And Ruth would walk into Bethlehem and say, I want to worship your God. What are people going to do in a situation like that? They're going to back off. But Ruth pressed on and God provided reconciliation. God provided wholeness. God introduced her to a man named Boaz and God wrote Ruth's love story. God brought healing to not only Ruth, but to Naomi. Naomi was a broken woman. She'd run away from the Lord and God brought her back. In the same way, Jesus is our better Boaz. Jesus doesn't just look upon Ruth and redeem her. Jesus looks upon all of humanity and said, I will redeem all who would come unto me. I think of this idea of brokenness and brokenness always has a special place in my heart because of one Christmas for me. I was about eight years old. And for six months, I had asked for a specific toy. And I want to show you that toy. Maybe. There you go. Oh, there he is. That guy's name is Jetfire. Jetfire was ultimately a redeemed transformer because he'd started off with the Decepticons, but then he used his powers for good and became an Autobot. None of that means anything to you, and that's okay. Just go with me for a second. But in the process, for six months, I told my parents I only wanted one gift for Christmas, him. He was huge. He was like 18 inches tall. And he transformed from the jet, the awesome jet that he is, into a great fighting robot, an Autobot, a good guy. And the Autobot jet fires were harder to get than the Decepticon ones. So sure enough, on Christmas Day, I open up the box and there is Jetfire. And I'm a man. Even at eight, I'm a man. So what did I do with the directions? Left them in the box. Five minutes later, I had broken Jetfire in half. He was beyond repair. There was no hope for Jetfire because Jetfire was now Jetfires. And I was devastated. I was an eight-year-old that realized I just crushed my dream. All I had wanted for Christmas was Jetfire and I broke him in half in my hands. Literally, I remember looking at my dad saying, what do I do? And my dad, having the gift of sympathy, looked at me and said, well, guess you got to wait till next year. (laughs) Thanks, dad. Maybe he didn't say it like that, but as an eight-year-old, that's how I remember it. Hopefully he's not listening to this. But my point is, I sought to do better than the directions. I sought to figure it out on my own. And in the end, where did it get me? It got me with a busted toy. And our spiritual lives are a lot like that. We keep telling God, God, I don't need you right now. I'll go do it my own way. And if I get into trouble, I'll call you. But for now, I'm good. Like me looking at my dad, fix jet fire. But the problem is we're beyond repair on our own. We needed hope and we need help. And that's what's amazing because help came in the form of a little baby born in a dirty, unclean manger to a woman out of wedlock 
And this savior that was born tells us this. You're broken? Come here. You're tired? Come here. You're confused? Come here, I got you. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are broken, all who carry the weight of the world on you, and I'll give you rest. I can make you whole. I can bring you hope. This world on its own brings despair and brokenness and pain and suffering. And I can bring you hope and life forever if you want it. For I am the king. Jesus didn't shy away from letting people know who he was. But this king says, what? I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls in me. Just out of curiosity, is anyone out there tired today? Just one of you's honest. The rest of you are all liars. <laughs> I know your schedule. So thank you, the guy in the back who I won't mention. But no, I know many of us are tired. I'm tired. But Jesus says, I will give rest for your soul. I will let you go to bed every night knowing that you can rest in peace. Not like on a gravestone. But knowing that there is purpose to your life. Knowing that you are secure in my arms. That while you may not be able to fix everything going on in this broken world, I've got you. Again, this guy, Paul, tells us that we can come to God. And because of who Jesus is, we can call him Abba. And the closest thing we have to that is not father, but it's like daddy. It's like crawling into the arms of our father that loves us and won't let us go no matter what. He seeks to make us whole. He seeks to bring us into the light, to repair our brokenness and to give us full life. The thief, the devil, Satan, the evil that's present in this world comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He does it creatively. He does it trying to make us think that he is light, but he is the prince of darkness. That's one of his names. And his purpose is to do three things. Steal your joy, kill you, and destroy your eternal life so that you would suffer for eternity with him. And Jesus says, but that's not the life I'm inviting you to. That's not the life I created you to. I came to earth. God became man and made his dwelling, made his habitat among us so that we could have life to the fullest. And if you look at that Greek word there, it means wholeness or completeness. Some of us wonder, what am I supposed to do with my life? You might be 50 and wondering what you're supposed to do with your life. You might be 20 and wondering where you're supposed to go. And Jesus makes it simple. Jesus says, follow me. And I'll lead you exactly where you need to go. And you will never have to doubt whether I love you. You will never have to doubt whether I've got a plan. You'll never have to doubt whether there is hope and whether this works out in the end. You'll never have to doubt that I will protect you. He doesn't promise that it'll be easy, but he promises that we never have to doubt him. But even if we do doubt that we can be secure in knowing he hears our doubts and our concerns and he'll walk with us. 
And in those times of doubts, he even said, I'll carry you. There's that famous Christian poem, Footprints in the Sand. But really that, that goes back to the fact that cast your cares upon him. That's where it is. Lay your burdens at the foot of the cross and let Jesus make you whole. This little baby born outside the city walls is the one that said, I came that you might have, it, have life and have complete life, have life that's fulfilled. Sometimes I get to visit uh, people uh, in their last days of life. That's, uh, sometimes they'll want to talk to a minister. And so I'll walk into those situations. And sadly, especially with those that may not yet know Jesus Christ, I'll ask them about life. And they'll say, I wish. I wish I'd done things differently. I wish I'd fixed this. I wish I'd dealt with this. And it's at that point of brokenness where I speak and I say, you know, Jesus tells us that in him we don't have to have any regrets. In him, we can let the past be the past. Our sins be remembered no more. And our hope to be found in him. You have to deal with the sin. We can't run away from the fact that we are broken. We can't run away from the fact that we have run away from God. And we need to go back to him and confess our sins. But he is faithful and he is just. And he will forgive us our sins. And not only that, but purify us. And as he purifies us, he puts his clean cleanliness on us so that we don't have to do it ourselves. So that we're not walking around in our dirty rags. We're walking around in the fullness and the holiness and the cleanliness of God, carrying his name, just like those three beautiful women did at baptism a few moments ago. We move from brokenness to wholeness and fullness in Christ Jesus, in this Messiah that was prophesied. So we move from light to dark, from broken to wholeness. And then as I told you earlier, we move from big, big and small or small and big. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Now, you got to know this about Bethlehem. When Joshua is naming out the claims for the people and the tribes of Israel, Bethlehem isn't even mentioned as a place. It's too small and too insignificant to even get mentioned. It's a nothing territory. It is small and forgotten. Sometimes we in life feel that way, don't we? Nobody understands me. Nobody gets what I'm going through. Nobody can relate to this. You just wouldn't understand. I've heard many of those. I've said many of those. But you know what? Our king, this guy Jesus that we're talking about today, how did he grow up? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Roots out of dry ground, do they grow very big and tall? No, they don't. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that anyone should think that this guy is the Messiah. This guy's gonna save the world. Who did God send to earth as a man? A guy that we would have walked down Causeway Bay and not even noticed. A guy that would have been sitting next to us if you got service at the newly reopened outback. You wouldn't have even noticed that was the son of God. He was a man uh, Rich Mullins says he was a man of no reputation. And look 
at what God did through a small, nondescript man who is fully God and fully man and God used to change the world. But sometimes we and ourselves get two perspectives on this idea of self-importance. And a lady named Kim Gerard wrote this, and I was taken aback by it and challenged by it, so I thought I'd share it. She says, when I forget who I am, when I forget my identity as God's child, sometimes it looks like self-righteous pride. Look at me. See how, what I can do. Look at how evil everybody else is, but look at me. I'm doing it the right way. I know the best way. Look at how good I am, how much better I am than him or her or you or me. And other times, the same pride hurls me into fits of insecurity. Who am I to think that I can do any of this? I'm not qualified. As a pastor, I ask all sorts of people to do all sorts of things. And 90% of the time, I'm not the right person for this. There's somebody else that's more qualified, better suited, or this or that. But we've missed it. Because that insecurity means we're comparing ourselves and we're trying to live up to the expectations of others, not remembering who we are in Christ. Kim goes on to write, I'm learning that when I apologize for who I am, when I apologize for taking up space, I'm not giving God any glory. I'm putting focus back on me and on my shortcomings, which might be the very weaknesses through which he has planned to show his strength. Have you ever thought about it? that maybe the struggles you face in life, if you were willing to be transparent and gentle and humble and invite others into that journey with you, God might use that to change their lives. The psychological phenomenon of fight or flight is a tricky one because we humans often want to fight our way out of situations when we feel attacked or insecure. But there's a third way. There's a way that Paul says, in humility, consider others better than yourself. Remembering that your security is in the very name of Jesus Christ. You and I who've called on Jesus have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Our identity is secure. What other people say about us is of second importance to what God thinks of us. And let me tell you what God thinks of you. God thinks so much of each one of you in this room and in all of humanity that he gave his one and only son for you. For a broken world that continues to self-destruct, God sent light into the darkness in the form of his son to save us and to make us great by his great name. And look at what he did. Look at what Jesus, the great Messiah, the great I am, look at what he says. The disciples are trying to shoo off the kids. Yes, I intentionally kept the kids up here. I wanted them to see baptism. I wanted them to be part of our worship service. And he looked at them and he says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. You see, Jesus understands that this world isn't about self-sufficiency and success in the eyes of man. It's about our identity in Jesus Christ. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I live to make a great name, not for myself, but for God 
that others might see his light and rejoice. I'm big because God is big. I know where I'm going because God has led me. I know that there's hope in this broken world because I have seen Christ at work in the hearts of men and women all over our world. And while every day I wake up thinking, am I good enough? I can claim without a doubt that God has plans. That God knows me and created me fearfully and wonderfully. And he made me on purpose. And you know what? He made you on purpose too. And he invites you to call on his name, the name of his son, Jesus, and follow him, knowing your identity is secure. Knowing that we don't have to live in pride or in fear of what others think because God loves us. So not only is God, is Jesus the better Skywalker and the better Boaz and the better Gideon, but one that we all wrestle with is fear. It's this fear of the unknown. It's fear of what happens if this goes wrong or if this situation happens or what if, and whatever that what if might be, how do we deal with that? Well, you can look and sorry, I've just lost my PowerPoint. So if, if I lose it, you'll just have to trust me. Oh, maybe it's coming back. There we go. But Jesus looks out and we learn in Micah 4 that he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the better caregiver. So often we feel like we've got to take care of the broken people all around us on our own. We feel the burdens of this world and it's good. We should hurt for those that are hurting. But we keep thinking we've got to fix it on our own apart from God. And we look back to Micah and Micah, even before Jesus was born, prophesied that he will stand and shepherd his flock. What does a shepherd do for his flock? He protects them. We learn in the New Testament that when the shepherd loses one sheep, he puts the 99 away and goes and hunts after that one. Maybe you feel like your life is too unredeemable. It is beyond repair. Mike, you don't understand the depth of what I have done wrong. I've walked away. I've hurt so many. I've done so many things. I think too much of myself and others have been hurt by me, whatever the situation is. But the picture we are given is of a shepherd that would chase us down no matter how much it takes. And you know what it took? It took his life. It took the very life of the Son of God to bring us home. I was trying to think of what that might mean for us. And I realized that uh, my family faced an interesting situation this week on Tuesday night. And let me start by saying everything is okay. But I don't know if you read in the newspapers a very odd headline. Two robbers caught, one with a can of Coke. Did anybody hear about that? That happened in our backyard. Not literally our backyard, actually in our front, but, <laughs> but it's about two o'clock in the morning on Tuesday night, or at this point, Wednesday morning, our dog, and we've got a big, scary dog. We have him on purpose for this very reason. And Thor, good name, you should be afraid of Thor, but Thor starts barking, and it's not his normal, somebody's at the door, happy bark. It's an angry bark. And 
you know, like when you, if you're a parent, you know the difference in cries. Well, when you've had a dog for a while, you know the difference in his barks. Melissa looks at me and she says, you going downstairs? And because at 10.30 that night, we had gotten an email to our community saying, be careful, we heard there are three robbers on the loose. And my dog is downstairs going nuts. And I think, oh, crap, what am I going to do? And I, so I, I get out of bed. I say, stay here to Melissa, obviously, because, you know, I'm chivalrous. <laughs> and I begin, we live in a, a three-floored three house. And as I'm going down, I realize that all of my things that could be used as a club are down in the doorway, which is already too late. So I grabbed the first thing I could find, a little Bluetooth speaker. And so I carry this speaker and I start making my way down the stairs. And I realized there was something that changed in me that I've never experienced before. I wasn't afraid of those robbers. I was angry if they, that they dared get anywhere near my family. And there was nothing I wouldn't do to protect them. And I realized that God better get a hold of my heart because if they were in my house, I would want to kill them. And I'm not joking. I was that, that's how I felt. It was, a, it was an anger and a fury that I had never felt before because my family was in that house. And at this point, I didn't know who was outside. I would do anything to protect my family, even with a Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> and by the time I got to the door, I did pull out the, driving, uh, the, the, uh, the golf driving, or maybe it was a pitching wedge. I grabbed something and I was ready. But you know what the amazing part of the story was? As I looked out, I didn't see three robbers standing outside my door. I saw four policemen (laughs) looking to get in because they wanted to make sure we were okay. What a picture of God's provident love for us. (laughs) We can think we have to fix the situation ourselves, but the whole time God was caring for us. We didn't have to be afraid. Yeah, Melissa and I didn't sleep much the rest of that night. (laughs) And our kids still don't know anything happened. So please don't tell them. (laughs) Unless you want to come stay up with them at night. But you see, throughout that experience, I was never afraid for myself. I know where I'm going. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But God looked down at broken mankind and looked at Satan attacking. And he would do anything to protect us. And he gave his son who gave his life for us. He is the better shepherd. He is the better caregiver than you or I that feel like we have to take on the responsibility of the world. We can trust him. We can cry out to him. Look at what the angels said. They said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause what? Great joy for all people. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to man in the highest. No, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those in whom his favor rests. Christmas is ultimately about the truth that we can live in the security and peace of God our Father who would give us his son as a ransom for us. And if you don't believe me, believe the wonderful teachings of Charles Schultz. So I'd like you to watch this. And I'd like you to remember that in our love story series, at the very beginning, I introduced you to a guy named Linus. You remember Linus? What does Linus have with him all the time? He's got his blanket. Now, if you've been on Facebook, this thought isn't original to me, so I'm not claiming it. 
But you already know where this is going. But I want you to watch Linus's blanket as he recites scripture. Because his security blanket changes when he comes to the realization of the true meaning of Christmas. So let's watch. Of the greatness of his government, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We don't have to achieve the victory on our own. Our security is not in our IRA, our retirement funds, our children and their success, our status among our family as we go home at Christmas and compare who's done more this year. It happens. I understand that. But our, our sufficiency is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our King. Linus learned that. Notice that blanket dropped because he came to realize we don't have to be afraid anymore. Our Savior is alive. And he came that we might have life and have it to the full. And while, yes, this world is broken and there is pain all around us, we are called to do something about that. We are called to invite people into light. We are called to invite people into wholeness. We are called to invite people into peace. And we are called to invite people into purpose and into hope. Out of the darkness into the light. What about you? Have you experienced the greatest love story ever told? You've just been given a picture of it this morning. Why is Christmas so significant? Because Jesus Christ, fully God, came to earth to live and experience life as you and I do. But then he went 
and he suffered and he died carrying our sins, our rebellion, our hurt, our pain. He took it all with him and he died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously so that we could know and so that for all time sin was conquered. And that he let us know that he's coming back and he will restore this broken world. And he will bring all those that have called on his name back to himself for all eternity. You feel like you're stumbling in the dark? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me. You feel like you've been broken? You are not beyond repair. The blood of Jesus Christ will make you whole, will wash you clean, and can redeem you. You feel too small and insignificant? The creator of this world is for you, so much so that he would come to earth as a man out of value of humanity. You feel afraid? Don't be. We're told that perfect love casts out fear. And that perfect love was shown through in a little baby born in Bethlehem so that we might be provided for for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. We didn't expect him to come the way he did, but you used him to change our lives. And so I ask that we would respond and that we would turn to the greatest light of all and that we would invite others into that light. In this we pray. Amen.